All right, my name's Josh, and I get to apparently be awesome at my job, so uh, we'll see how this morning goes. Goodness. We're in the book of Jonah, and I am, I don't, I'm kind of emotional this month just because we are saying bye to seniors. Uh, we just had our last kind of mentor training for our student ministry mentors, and I was getting choked up in there, and my wife looked at me, and she's like, I'm too tired to get emotional. I, I'll let you be the one to handle all the emotions, but it is a sweet season in the life of our church. We have four Sundays left. We're moving into a new house that the Lord has given us. Here's our hope, though, as leaders, as a congregation, that the heart that we have now, that the heart that the God, God of the universe has been shaping in us would not be forgotten as we move 100 feet next door. So we're in this book of Jonah to learn about God, but more specifically to have God shape our hearts for the outside world. You see, we have a vision to become the best friend our community has. There are lots of people around us who have no desire for God, are running from God, are rebellious against God, and we want to be the best friend to every single person in our community. And the way we get there is by looking at the Bible and looking at stories like Jonah. If you've been around church, you've probably heard this. Just curious, how many of you guys have heard the story of Jonah? I'm guessing... 90% of you, there's some people who haven't, that's fine. We had a girl last Wednesday in student ministry, we're talking through, well, the Bible says this, and she kind of raised her hand, what's the Bible? And there is reality to people come in this room and have never heard Jonah, and that is a beautiful thing. And there's also the reality that some of you have come into the room and have heard Jonah a thousand times in your life in the church. Here's what's sweet about Jonah. It contains what a lot of people would say is the central theme of Scripture. Like, if I was just to give you all an index card right now and say, write down, what is the theme of Scripture? Write down one passage that tells us everything we need to know about the Bible. And I just passed them out. I'm guessing John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life, would be everywhere. But here's what a lot of folks would say. Jonah 2.9 is the center point of the Bible. It is the theme of scripture. Jonah 2.9 says this. It's Jonah's summary statement from the belly of the fish. He says, salvation belongs to the Lord. If you were to read the Bible front to back, here's what you would be faced with page after page after page after page. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Other translations say salvation is from the Lord. And that's what we're looking at today. That's our big idea. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And we're going to look at five truths that flow out of that statement, that salvation belongs to the Lord. So let's bow and pray and ask God to meet us here specifically. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. I see it in the kids on stage. I see it in this room. I see it as I open your word. I see it in our new building. God, your goodness is all over. God, in this story of Jonah, as we dive into this, show us your goodness. Remind us of your beauty. Remind us that salvation comes from you, Lord. We love you. Be with us this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen. Well, just before we dive in, so I'm going to teach this, but I want to just give a few kind of Bible study type notes before we dive in. So what we're looking at, Jonah 2, is a prayer. Luke uh, last week preached, and he gave us this overview of the book. Jonah is four quick chapters. It's an easy read. Chapter 1 is about Jonah and these pagan sailors. Stuff happens. Jonah gets thrown in the ocean. Hence, now we're in chapter 2. Jonah is praying about his time in the ocean. 
He gets out of this predicament. Jonah 3 is now Jonah and the Ninevites, which we'll look at next week. And then the following week is a kind of summary prayer about Jonah criticizing God. This is the story of Jonah. And what we're looking at in chapter 2 is a song. It's a poem. And it's bookended by these. If you have your Bibles, look at chapter 1, verse 17. The author kind of bookends this prayer with these statements. 1, verse 17 says this. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days, three nights. Go to verse uh, 2, verse 10 now. And 2, verse 10 now says, And then the Lord spoke to that very fish, and it vomited Jonah up out of the dry, onto the dry land. So what we see in this chapter 2 is actually a poem. It's Hebrew poetry which tells us a few things. Jonah did not write this from the belly of the fish. He wrote it about being in the belly of the fish. He's thinking back on his experience. So he was actually in the belly of a fish, and now he's recounting his time in there. And what's the way you recount very meaningful, hard, dark seasons of life? You don't do it with bullet points. You do it with song. You do it with lament. You do it with praise. You do it with poetry if you're artistic. This is what Jonah's doing. He's artistically looking back at his salvation, and he's writing a poem about his time in the belly of the fish. Here's another thing we need to see. This is Jonah describing his salvation experience. So all throughout this, we're going to be talking about salvation that belongs to the Lord. Salvation means this. It's where Jesus' names come from, the God who saves, Yeshua, Joshua, my name. Salvation. It could also mean rescue deliverance, or just help. So rescue comes from the Lord. Deliverance comes from the Lord. Help of any kind comes from the Lord. And what we're looking at in this song, this poem, is Jonah talking about help coming from the Lord. And here's the other thing. This is what I missed. I don't know how I missed it, but I did. Reading through Jonah most years of being a Christian. Jonah's salvation is not being vomited out of the fish. The salvation Jonah's talking about is being saved by the fish. And you're like, where do you get that from? Most of his song is about drowning. So if you have your Bible, look at 2 verse 2. So he's given a summary statement of what's happening. I called out to the Lord out of my distress. What's his distress? Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. Sheol is the Jewish way to talk about utter darkness. Hell on earth might be an equivalent of what we're talking about. Just the pit of life. What's the pit of life? Well, he's drowning. Verse 3. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And I said, I'm driven away from your sight. Verse 5, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds, I love this imagery. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. What is happening to Jonah? He is drowning. He is dying. And God saves him in the belly of the fish. So we're looking at a poem Jonah writes about being saved from death by this massive fish that gobbles him up in the middle of the sea. That's what this is about. And Jonah says at the end, salvation belongs to the Lord. And we're going to look at these five points about salvation belonging 
to the Lord. So here's our first point. If you're a note taker, and I'm going to have a question just to kind of help us wrap our heads around it. Here's the first question I have as I go to this text. Why did Jonah get saved? And my answer, according to this text and all of Scripture, is salvation is always initiated by God's grace. Nothing you can look at in Jonah's life warrants somebody saying, I can see why God saved him. Nothing. Jonah has been running. Just to kind of talk about what Luke talked about last week, 1 verse 3, you don't have to go there, but I'll fly through. Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He fled the Lord. Same thing Adam and Eve did and all of us have done ever since. He went down to Joppa. 1 verse 5. Now he's on a boat trying to escape God. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship. 2 verse 2. I called out of my distress. He answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, which is as down as you can go in Hebrew language. And then 2 verse 6. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Jonah is a rebel, and he is going down, 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 away from the presence of the Lord. Nothing in this text says there's the moment where he made the right decision. He is fleeing. He is running. He is a rebel. He is what the Bible calls a sinner, and he is running away from God. 2 verse 4 kind of gives a good summary statement of Jonah's current state, and maybe some of us in the room. 2 verse 4 says, Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Why did God go get Jonah? The text doesn't say. All we read is verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Why? Why did God save Jonah? Because he is gracious, period. Period. End of statement. Jonah even says it himself. A couple weeks, we'll look at chapter 4. He's all flustered because God actually did in Nineveh what he said he was going to do. And he says, this is why I ran away from you, because I knew that you are gracious and merciful. Why did God save Jonah from drowning? Because he is gracious period. Salvation belongs to the Lord, and he initiates it simply out of grace. Why am I saved? Why do I have a couple girls saying incredibly nice things about me when I am not that great of a guy because of God's grace? Why do any of us have anything good in our life because of God's grace? couple passages in the New Testament. Ephesians 2 says this about our salvation. It's by grace you all have been saved through faith. And just to reiterate what I mean by grace, this is not your own doing. It is the gift, the grace of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Why am I Christian? Because of grace. Why is anything good in my life? Because of grace. There's a passage Paul says in Corinthians that I've wrestled with for a long time. Because especially if you want to be good at your work, your vocation, your parenting, whatever it is that's at your core, this is Paul talking about that very thing. He's an apostle. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. 
And I loved his wrestle. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. He's saying, I was no slouch. I put in my time. Though it was not I, but the grace of God within me. Why am I who I am? Because I work hard, but it's God's grace. Why is Jonah saved? Because of God's grace. The best movie of all time, Braveheart, has a beautiful, basically, every scene is great. But William Wallace goes into the tent to talk to the queen. And she's like, I hear you have been made knight. And William Wallace, I've been made nothing. God makes men what they are. In other words, it's God's grace. I am what I am. By God's grace. Why is Jonah saved? Because of grace. Why is Paul saved? Because of grace. Why is anyone in this room currently in a relationship with the Lord of the heavens and the earth? Because of grace and grace alone. The second we forget that, we have no chance of being a blessing to our community. It's God's grace. I am what I am by the grace of God. Amen, William Wallace. That's exactly true. It leads me to my next question is what exactly saved Noah in this? What saved Noah? God's initiating grace is the thing that started it, but what saved him? And here's my answer. Salvation is achieved by God's sovereign power, period. It's his grace that starts it, and it's his power that achieves it. God's power is what saves Jonah. What did Jonah do? Nothing. He was drowning. He was drowning in the middle of the sea. He had nothing to offer God. He was going down into Sheol. And it's God's power that moved in and saved him. But God stepped in. I want to just read this looking at what God has done. So if you have your Bible, there's four verses through this. I want to see God's action. The first one is the one we've already read. 1 verse 17. It says this about what happened. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Other translations say prepared. God prepared this moment. Appointed this moment. Go to 2 verse 3. How does Jonah recall this happening? 2 verse 3 says, this is Jonah talking, For you, God, cast me into the deep into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. So you see God's mercy. He appoints a fish. You see God's judgment. He threw Jonah into the sea. 2 verse 5 and 6. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Again, he's talking about salvation being in the belly of the fish. I'm not drowning. And then finally, 2 verse 10 says this, and the Lord spoke to that fish, I love this, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Who's in control of this story? God. How is God using his control? There's two things at play, his judgment and his mercy, yet he is dictating both all the time. And the same is still true. Jonah is not an exception. This is how life works. God is complete control of the story. Who created the storm that caused this mess on the ship? God. 
Who got Jonah thrown off the ship? God. How? They cast lots. The pagan sailors cast lots, threw dice, whatever they did, and it landed on, oh, just by chance, Jonah. And God threw him into the ocean through these human means, and then God appointed a fish to swallow him up. He did not drown. He got swallowed up. Three things I notice here. God is in control of every act of judgment on earth. God is also in control of every act of mercy on earth. And here's where I've just been wrestling, kind of getting stuck in my head a little. From a human vantage point, it's really hard to try to decipher when which is which. What's God's judgment in this story if you're Jonah and the sailors? What's God's mercy? But as an objective reader looking at it, God's judgment is from God. God threw him in the ocean. And here's what I just want us to think about. A lot of Christian leaders I follow and really adore, I think too often go too heavy on proclaiming God's judgment when a situation happens. A tornado happens. A tsunami happens. Something in America happens. This is God's judgment on the land. I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm just saying I don't have the confidence, nor do I think most people should have the confidence to claim that. On the other end, a lot of us in a growing number, especially in our church, land on the mercy card, and they never want to speak of God's judgment. Here's just a fact. Some of y'all in this room are under God's judgment. Like the circumstances in your life where you feel like you're drowning, drowning, drowning down to Sheol, are God's active hand producing that. Others of you are like Joseph, where it was all these brothers of yours' fault, and sisters, and spouses, and God's doing the best, working all things together for his good. But that doesn't negate the fact that God's judgment is upon us, and he uses judgment. This is what salvation is. God using his judgment and his mercy, two sides of the same coin, to bring about salvation. That's whether it's judgment or mercy, God is in charge of it all. Now, if you sit and try to figure all this out, here's where you land. Here's a word you should write down. Paul uses it as he's trying to figure all this out. He says, God, how inscrutable are your ways. You will dominate in Scrabble if you write that down. Inscrutable. What does it mean? At the end of the day, There is so much beyond the curtain that I will never be able to connect it all. And yet sometimes God is gracious and he gives us a story like Jonah where we can actually see the dots being connected and we know that God's hand is on the judgment and God's hand is on the mercy. He's in charge of it all. Why? Because salvation belongs to him and him alone. It takes us to our third point. How exactly does Jonah get saved? What does it? God's power. But how does Jonah get saved? If you have your Bible still, go to verse 7. This is Jonah kind of assessing the situation in his false view of life at this point. Verse 7 says, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. This is him talking about false salvation. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will pay. Jonah at least realizes there's false salvation offered in this world. 
and it fails every time. False gods always fail, what Jonah says. But the flip side is the true God does not listen to us on how we should get saved. He saves us how he wants to save us. What do I mean by that? If you were drowning in the sea, how would you write up your salvation from that moment? Nobody in the room would pick a fish as the object of their salvation. You all, like me, would pick SEAL Team 6. <laughs> they'd rescue you out. They'd dry you off. They'd take you to the nearest Starbucks, and that would be your salvation. Jonah gets saved in the belly of a fish. Saved in a dark, wet, smelly, confined space of some sea creature. And that's his salvation. God determines the terms of salvation. And you fast forward in scripture, and humankind for all of time has had a problem with God defining salvation. Because we want to define salvation. Adam and Eve made fig leaves. God said, no. I'll sacrifice an animal and cover you with the skin of an innocent animal. I'll define this. In Corinthians, Paul's talking about just the current religious battle of the day, and he summarizes it with this. You don't need to go there. He says, Jews just demand signs. Jews want signs. Greeks want wisdom. They want to be intellectually impressed into salvation. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, and folly to the Gentiles. We do not choose salvation. God chooses it, and he's chosen a crucified Jew. And it's foolishness, and it's folly, and yet God defines the terms. Even in the story, you see God choosing salvation how he wants it. Like, how did the sailors get saved? He forced these pagan sailors to sacrifice a Jewish prophet in order that they might be saved. They were dead if they didn't sacrifice a Jewish prophet. How did God choose to save Jonah? He threw him into the depths of Sheol and swallowed him up with a fish. How did God ultimately save Nineveh? He saved Nineveh by graciously saving a selfish, whiny, annoying know-it-all, bigoted, fill-in-the-blank, Jewish prophet so that Nineveh might be saved through him. God's salvation of Jonah was God's salvation of Nineveh. God's salvation of our community is God's salvation here at Gateway. Because here's what God's doing in this room, just to bring you in the loop. He's saving whiny, selfish Bigoted, lustful, proud, annoying, frustrating, I can stop, people, so that we might go out with a message of grace that we've been given ourselves. God defines the terms of salvation. And it's frustrating if you stand here as a proud human, but it's so freeing if you stand here as a humble 
receiver of God's grace. God chooses the terms. Now here's, I'm very sensitive to people new to church. Because I didn't grow up in church. First time ever was in a youth group and it was a terrible experience. They did not have a Pastor Josh at that place. It was brutal. (laughs) It was awkward. Using all these church words. I'm like, come on. You might be sitting there. Well, okay, this is a great story. But I really need help. I really need deliverance. I really need rescue. I really need salvation, if that's the word you call it here at church. How do I get salvation? See, Jonah's a great story, but it's not the end of the story. It's a chapter within a bigger story. And that leads us to our fourth point. Where do we look for salvation? Salvation is only accomplished by God's son, Jesus Christ. Jonah can't save us. Jonah's salvation story can't save us. The lessons of how to live and how not to live from Jonah can't save us. Nothing in the story of Jonah can save us. Jonah is but a whisper of salvation that gives way to the shout of Jesus Christ and his salvation. As you read Jonah, it is a whisper of the ultimate shout that we have in Christ. Here's what I, I just, this is called sanctified imagination. This is not scripture. I like to think and dwell on how God is pleased in watching his plan unfold. Jonah's written about 800 BC, so 2,800 years ago, 800 years before Jesus. And he watches his Jewish messenger get swallowed up for three days and three nights. Everyone's like, interesting. And God's like, just wait. Just wait. Because some of the best gifts take time to unfold. Mother's Day, gentlemen, is in seven days. My mother reminds me a lot. So Amazon helped me out. I got my card three days ago. I am 10 days in advance Some of you are like the morning of cutting Hank's roses off of his front yard to give to your wife (laughs) for Mother's Day. God is not a last-minute saver. His plan has been unfolding for a long time, and Jonah is but a whisper of ultimately what we'd see in Jesus. Jesus himself speaks of Jonah. He says this. He's in a Debate like he always is with religious leaders. So some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign. Jews want a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Amen? If we were charismatic, I'd make you all stand up, high five your neighbor, say something greater. Say it. Is here. Something greater is here, Jesus says. 
Jonah is a whisper. It is a beautiful story. It's a real story. It's a true story. It's a meaningful story, but it's a whisper of a story because something greater is here. Jesus did not go into the belly of the sea. He went into the storm of God's wrath that was for us, and he chose it. Jonah chose to run from God. Jesus chose to run towards God by entering into his wrath for us so that we might be saved. Why? Because salvation is from the Lord, and something greater is here, and his name is Jesus. Do you want to be saved? Do you want to be rescued? Do you want to be delivered? What is it that has you drowning towards hell on earth? Jonah's a whisper. Jesus is the shout. We look to Jesus. Takes us to our last point. How exactly do we receive this salvation? Salvation is always given by God to those who ask. I wrote down, no matter how far down you've gone, listen to this. God's ear will reach you. The imagery in this story is not on accident. Jonah's at the bottom of the sea in the belly of a fish, and God hears because salvation is of the Lord, and we receive it by asking. I just want to show you what Jonah did as he praised this psalm. I want to look at the different words he uses for prayer. So if you have it, we're just going to bounce through a couple here. 2 verse 1 says this. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. Chapter 2 verse 2, he says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. 2 verse 4, he uses words that don't involve words, but same essence. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. 2 verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. 2 verse 9, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice of thanksgiving. Every word that we just read about prayer is a different Hebrew word. How do we receive salvation? How do we receive help? How do we receive deliverance? If I talk to my Muslim friends, they are very specific. How do I receive salvation? And they have a box this big that you have to stay within to pray to receive any favor from Allah. Jonah is a whiny, selfish bigoted, terrible messenger of God. And he cries out. The different words there mean to make a request. Another one says to shout out an appeal. To look just means to look your attention towards someone. My prayer in verse 7 means a a petition of adoration. And voice of thanksgiving is simply telling God, thank you. There's not a single word that's repeated. What do I learn from that? God is not looking for precision. He is looking for desperation. If you do a New Testament study of prayer, you'll be faced with this reality. Jesus highlights desperation, and he shuns any sort of religious ceremony that he sees. Don't pray like this. Pray like this. Like what? Like a kid just pulling on his dad's shirt. Dad, 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 dad. That's how you pray. Like that kid, yes. Dad, 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 dad. Why? 
because there's desperation when a kid knows that my dad has what I need. Where does salvation come from? Salvation belongs to the Lord. Call it whatever you want, rescue. Where do you need rescue? Where do you need deliverance? Where do you need help? Where do you need salvation? I wrote a question to kind of end our time here. How is your prayer life? I hate that question. My wife really hates that question. Because then you just think of a grade in your head. And if you've got churchiness on you or in you, like a lot of us do, you give a churchy answer and you say something along the lines of, like a C minus. Because it's not too haughty. It's not too like low. And I'm like a C minus. Just cross that off your church answer list because that's the churchiest answer you could ever give. Cross off that question, how's your prayer life? It's too generic. Here's a better question. Where in your life do you need salvation right now? That's at the heart of prayer. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Help, rescue, deliverance. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So in your life right now, where do you need help? Where do you need deliverance? If you're not a Christian in the room, you, like Jonah, are running from God. And the story of going down, down, down to hell on earth is a true story of anyone who rebels against God. The only option you have is down. The comforts of your life might numb you to the reality of what's going on, but you are going down, down, down until you turn to God and ask him for help. In a desperate plea, God, save me. And God always answers that. If you're a Christian in the room, Don't limit salvation to just your moment where you trusted Jesus. Salvation means help, means rescue, means deliverance. Where do you need help? Where do you need deliverance? Where do you need rescue? I need it with a third born. No book is helping me. God, help me with this third born you've given me. Where do you need it? God, my finances. I know I've chosen this. You could go and try to attack life and get your stuff in order, or you could cry out, God, help me. He hears you. From the lowest of lows, God hears the cries of his people as they cry out in desperation because salvation belongs to the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Father, Thank you for salvation, for deliverance. Thank you that you always answer the desperate pleas of undeserving people because it's your grace that initiates, it's your power that achieves, it's your son that accomplishes, it's you doing the work of salvation. You own this. It's your property. We just get to ask you for it. So God, make us a church that cries out to you for help because you alone can rescue, you can save, salvation is yours. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.